calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your, Your Angry, Angry Neighborhood, Neighborhood Feminist. Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspectives. Hi, welcome back to another episode in Black History Month. Yeah! Yes! We so love excited. Black History Month. Yes. So this week we are going to be talking about the marches from Selma to Montgomery. And specifically the movie Selma. And the movie Selma. Yeah. Yes, which I did not rewatch for this episode. I thought about it. But it has been a crazy week, mm-hmm. guys. It has been an insane week. I'm getting ready to start a new job. I have my live show coming up, which will be in the past when yep. this episode comes out. Yep. Um, so it's just been a lot, and I didn't have an opportunity to rewatch. But I did watch it when it came out. I've seen it a couple of times. You're um, good. I had never seen it. Yeah? I can't believe I've never seen it. That's crazy. I know. I'm the worst when it comes to watching movies. I've tried for years to watch every movie that's nominated for Best Picture. I've it's never very once hard done to it. Do. It's really hard to do, and I've never once done it, and it kind of, like, happens by chance. Like, I'm invited to the movies, or a friend gives me a screener, or it's like, it's one of those things But you where... know what? Like, TBH, they're not always gonna be, like, your cup of tea anyway. Right. So it's like... Exactly. But Selma totally would have been. Like, I totally would have seen it at the time. I don't know why I didn't see it. I'm also just, like, at home, I'm typically, like, I'd rather watch a TV show than a movie. I'm the same. You know? So... I'm, I have... I have, a like, commitment of the, issues with movies. Same. Like, I have almost all of the Oscar-nominated movies, like, uh-huh. either by screener or on digital from my job. Like, I have so many movies right now. Yeah. And when I'm home alone, do I watch them? No. No, I don't. You I watch, watch the same thing you've seen a million times. Yeah, I watch New Girl yeah. or, you know. Yeah, exactly. So I'm really glad that I got to see it today. Um you know, growing up, I did learn about this march, but there was really a lot about it that I didn't know. There were a lot of people that were in, like, characters in the movie that I didn't know a whole lot about mm-hmm. that had me pulling out my phone and looking at right. different things. And so that was something for me that I really liked was that it was a really, like, educational thing for me. Um, um, like I said, I grew up watching Selma Lord Selma, the Wonderful World of Disney movie starring Journey Smollett. Yeah. Um so for me, I had you had knowledge going into knowledge it. of this. I brought okay. So guys, <laughs> back in the day, if you're a youngin, you will not remember this. But back in the day, if you wanted to record something before TiVo, you would actually go to Walgreens and buy a blank blank tape. VHS tapes, and you could there was a record button on your VCR. Mm-hmm. So I did that with this movie, and your skills were to like sit by the VCR and hit record. Whenever it was going and, and hit then stop right before a commercial. the commercials, yeah. And you wanted to get oh, like I always just kind of let it play. Oh, I never did. I was oh. like, I'm going to get these but commercials. It's fun for me because okay, so you oh, know, now it is. You yeah. know my obsession with Anne Frank. I recorded the Anne Frank TV movie. Oh, I had that one too. Yeah, and yes. I like I watched it when I was like in high school, and it was so much fun to oh, watch the old commercials. Nowadays, it's hilarious. It's at the, so good. At the time, though, I was like, I don't want to sit through these commercials. Of course and, not. And I thought it was like you know you were fucking baller if you yeah. could get in and like cut it off and yeah. back on like right whenever there was it no stopped and started. There was no editing system. It yeah. just was your pure skill. Skill, like pure skill. So I did that with Selma Lord Selma. And then I brought it in to school at my elementary school for uh, Black History Month. And I was like, 
let's watch this. Let's and they let this. us. Like, we yeah. had a whole day where we watched, which you guys know, if you were a kid in the 90s, the When they pulled day. the TV in. Yes, when they rolled it in on that, like, cart or whatever. With, like, the red, like, uh band around it so the yes. doesn't wiggle around. Yeah. Yes, that was the best. So, the um, best. The best. <laughs> so I watched that. So I grew up kind of knowing the story. I need to watch that movie now. On a very superficial level. I mean, it's a very, it's for kids. Yeah. So, but while, I still like kids movies. Right. So sure while, I would still enjoy it. <laughs> it's from the perspective of like a 12 year old. So like, yeah. while um, they do go into things like she does get tear gassed and like things yeah. like that and they do address those things. Yeah. It's, it, uh, it's on a more kid friendly level. Yeah. I would say watch Selma Lord Selma and Selma. Yeah. <laughs> because they give you the same story from kind of like different perspectives. Yeah. And then also do a lot of your own reading because both of those are examples of very dramatized, 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 dramatized. It's all good versions. Yeah, exactly. That and that's what I liked about this movie too is that whenever there was something I wasn't aware of, I would just pull it up on my phone. I'm one of those people like in theaters. I want to look shit up on my phone so bad because I want to know. Oh, especially me too. Was, like, I wonder what they look like. Story. Yeah, yes. or I want to know the trivia on IMDb. Yes. Or, like, anything like that. Something. It's so hard for me not to look at my phone. But I also find myself getting distracted. Like today I was reading stuff. I was like, oh shit, I got to rewind. I got to start that part over because I missed something or, you know. Yeah, I'm, like I'm the same way. I got most of my information from like three different sources. One of the major ones being uh, a history.com article. And while I was reading through that, I was like when names would come up I would like go and Google to exactly. see like what that person looked like. That's what and happens to me whenever we have like a broad topic like last week with the black suffragettes. Like every mm-hmm. time a name came up I'm like okay I'm I want to see way, what this person looks like. I'm going to be way too far into yeah, this. Yeah. So let's get started. Do you want to kind of uh, start with like a little bit of Background on the well, march itself, or how do you how do you want to start this? I kind of wanted to read this first paragraph is directly from the history dot com article, but okay, I cool. feel like it is a good baseline yeah. for us to get started. So, okay, go for um, it. It says the Selma to Montgomery march was part of a series of civil rights protests that occurred in 1965 in Alabama, a southern state with deeply entrenched racist policies. In March of that year, in an effort to register black voters in the South, protesters marching the 55-mile route from Selma to the state capital of Montgomery were confronted with deadly violence from local authorities and white vigilante groups. Mm -hmm. As the world watched, the protesters, under the protection of federalized National Guard troops, finally achieved their goal, walking around the clock for three days to reach Montgomery. The historic march and Martin Luther King Jr.'s participation in it raised awareness of the difficulties faced by black voters and the need for a National Voting Rights Act. Yeah. (sighs) Something that the movie did really well with was the fact that it was very explicit and jarring in its um, visuals of what it was like to try to register to vote. Um, the opening, when it's the the bombing at the church, let me see what the church name was, at the um, Birmingham church bombing, mm-hmm. um, when the four girls are walking down the stairwell and they're talking about, you know, Coretta King's hair. I'm sure that's, you know, purely... It's dramatized. Dramatized, yeah. you know. But there, it's just like, he just won the Nobel Prize, and then it cuts to them, like, walking down the stairs, and all of a sudden, this explosion. That was jarring. Right, and I think that the reason why Selma was such a, a turning point for a lot of people, specifically a lot of white Americans, is because the same way we could look at the 90s growing up, or a lot of people even now, I mean, look at... <laughs> Look, we just turned comments off on one of our our posts today yeah. because I think a lot of people are just like racism doesn't exist anymore because yeah. they're living in this bubble. Well, and it also is it's not even just that racism doesn't exist anymore. It's also saying that we can't be quote unquote blamed for what our ancestors did. Right, right. Which is an, a whole other like topic. Yeah. But I think the reason why Selma was so jarring for people is because. Um, Martin Luther King Jr. had just won the Nobel mm-hmm. Pe- Peace Prize. People, I think, thought, especially people in the North, progressives, white progressives, who weren't living in the I South. I mean, even probably white people in the South, like, didn't want to give him credit for it, but, like, didn't really realize the threat, necessarily. I, I mean, I don't know. I have a hard time believing that in the Deep South, because it was happening very frequently all yeah, the time. Yeah, that's true. Probably just angered so, them. I, yeah, I don't I don't know about in the no, South. I, but I, and I didn't mean ignorance. I meant more like, you have what you want, so why are you asking for more kind of thing? I mean, possibly. Possibly. Um, that's kind of what the governor said in one of the speeches. Well, they wanted, they the wanted a separate... They just wanted a separate society. Like, yeah. they were very anti-segregation. Uh, anti, um, yeah. And all of that. But 
I think what what it was with Selma, like the point I'm trying to make is that it was very jarring because this was the first time, and we're going to get to that a little later on, where this kind of brutality on this massive scale was being televised yeah. for everyone to see. And it it really removed the idea of complacency for progressive white people in the North. Like, yeah. they, they weren't able to sit very comfortably in their living rooms and say, it can't be that bad. They I'm show sure that, fine. too. They yeah. show the people watching it on the news. Yes, and because it's something very real that happened. Yeah. They're... they're numbers grew astronomically after Bloody Sunday yeah. because white people, uh, particularly um, social rights activists and pastors and rabbis, yeah. people of the church, they could no longer sit comfortably in their living rooms and think that nothing really that bad was happening because yeah. they were watching it happen. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, and this is around the same time as like the Vietnam War where that was being televised and people were so angered. By that, too. That was a really big year for television in general yeah. with that kind of stuff, you know, and having, like, this mass news coverage that but, people weren't used to But to, to see before. it happening in your country yeah. and to see it happening to people who were being completely passive and mm-hmm. who were unarmed, which was Ugh. a huge part of um, their strategy, which was, yeah. like, they can't fight back because if they fight back... We've seen what happens. Even today, if black people show any resistance, they're asking for it. So their strategy was, we're not going to show any resistance. We're still going to put ourselves in danger, get hurt, um, possibly die. The first, um, like, protest that we see in the movie where they go to, like, the town hall. And, like, the thing that was so beautiful visually and audibly about the movie was that it, it was so quiet. You know, they were completely peaceful. They're walking peacefully to this, like, town hall, and they all kneel down, and they put their hands on their heads. And it was such a, like, moving image, even from the beginning mm-hmm. of the movie, that was really effective, I thought. Yeah. Um, so- and, then, and then, like, the guy doesn't, like, sit down, and Oprah just, like, fucking smacks the shit. That was Oprah, right? Yeah. Yeah, Oprah was... Oprah just, like, smacks Oprah the... played a real person, who I'll get to yeah. uh, a little later. But, so let's give a little, like, background yeah. on where we got. Yes. Like, how we got to this place. Yes. So, in 1964, the Civil Rights Act passed, mm-hmm. and it forbade discrimination in voting on the basis of race. Yeah, and public facilities. However... Southern states really didn't adhere to that, particularly any any state that really um, participated in Jim Crow was not trying to participate yeah, in Jim, equal... Yeah, Jim Crow laws were very much still in effect. And what we talked about last week, too, with, like, you can vote, but we're going to make it nearly impossible for you to well, do Well, and yeah, and that's exactly what sparked this entire movement. Yeah. So they were putting some tactics into place, particularly for... I'm going to stop saying particularly because I say it so much. Oh, I didn't even realize. I say it so much. When I'm editing, I'm like, wow. Um, <laughs> but they put in a lot of tactics specifically for black voters yeah. to try and keep them from voting. And some of these things were a poll tax where mm-hmm. a lot of black voters were not able to pay that I in like order that to I like they vote. had somebody actually explain that in the movie as mm-hmm. well because they're all kind of shushing him. He's like, no, 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 hear me out. And he kind of like walks you through what that means. Right. And I really appreciated that. Yeah, yeah, which is really helpful. And that's something that um, Ava... Duvernier, is that yeah, how you say her last I think name? So. That is something that she does really well, which yeah. is to at once entertain and educate at the same time without yeah. it feeling disruptive. Yeah. Um, so there were poll taxes in place, there were literacy tests in place. That was mm-hmm. one of the biggest ones. Yeah. Which said that if you couldn't read, you couldn't vote. And you're but talking then, about you're, a time where a lot a specifically older black weren't allowed people to go to school. Did not weren't granted that kind of education. Yeah. So um, oh, I mean, when I'm, I can't, I don't know her name, the character name. I'm horrible at remembering them. So when Oprah was trying to vote mm-hmm. and they're asking all these questions, she's killing it. She's answering these questions that I wouldn't know the answers to. I'm like, I don't know. Right. Yeah. Like constitutional questions. Yeah. And, they're like, like and then they're like, well, what are the names of these people? And she doesn't know. And it's just this big stamp denied. And yeah. it's just like, it's so heartbreaking. Right. And the, I mean, those aren't really exaggerations. Like those are things yeah. that actually happened. Yeah. And beyond those things that should happen you know, when you went to register to vote, there was also just straight-up intimidation yeah. by, you know, KKK members or just white supremacy m- groups yeah. um, to stop you from voting. 
really threatening your life, yeah. your family's lives, yeah. and then straight up fraud, yeah. where they, if you did vote, they, you know... They didn't cast it. They didn't, didn't cast matter. it. Yeah. So at this time, only 2% of Selma's eligible black voters, so that's about 300 out of 1,500 uh people in Selma had managed to register to vote. They mentioned that in the movie, too. Yeah, which is, <laughs> which is crazy. Yeah. So, in 1965, Martin Luther King Jr. joined up with the Southern Christian Leadership Council, or the SCLC, mm-hmm. to make Selma, Alabama the focus for the voter registration campaign. So, mm-hmm. they called him... I think John Lewis was a member of the SCLC. I think John Lewis was a member of... Um, was he a member of a different organization? He was a member of SNCC. Okay, sorry. Um... Well, they called him up and they were like, you just won the Nobel Peace Prize. Wow. You just won the Nobel Peace Prize. We could really use someone like you here in Selma, Alabama. It could have been uh, Reverend Hosea Williams. Could have been. He was, because him and um, John Lewis were the ones that led the March. Bloody Sunday. Yeah. 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 Um, And so King agreed to come down. He actually called the president and was like, I am going to make Selma my focus point for this voting campaign. That was a weird thing for me to witness because I I had a lot of, like, animosity and, like, animosity? Not animosity. I had a lot of, like, anger toward the president during the first scene that they showed him. Animosity works. Animosity, yeah. Sure. Okay. I just didn't know if that sounded weird in this context. Um, where I was kind of like, fuck you, man. Like, he just kind of came well, off as a dick to me. But I then, think fuck you, man, regardless, despite what he's going to do at the end of this podcast, yeah. I think fuck you, man, is a totally okay stance okay, to have. Good. Yeah, because he starts <clears throat> being more and more, like, on board as it goes on. But you totally see a politician who is worried about, like, not offending people and Absolutely. wanting to make everybody happy and mm-hmm. things like that. But then you meet the governor and you're like, no, 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 actually, fuck this dude yes. in particular. Yes. Fuck this dude. So you the know? governor of Alabama was Governor George Wallace, and he was a racist as fuck, as yeah. you can imagine for any politician in Georgia yeah. in 1965. Um but he was a huge opponent to desegregation, as was the sheriff of Selma at the time. And oh, they yeah. were they were massively Did a- you know that originally, um, before the I can't remember how to say her last name, Ava Der We know who you're talking about. Okay. Yeah, the when, director of Selma. The director of Selma, there was another one there was somebody Bernier, else who was gonna be it. directing before her. And they wanted Robert De Niro, I think, to be the sheriff. They wanted Liam Neeson, I wanna say. I didn't write this down. To, to be, be the governor? Uh, maybe. It was something like, it was like a lot of really big names, but I like that they kind of made them unnamed people, but yo, the cast is dope. Like, yeah, the cast is so good. Oh God, just when you think um, you've seen everybody, like Cuba Gooding Jr. comes in and you're like, yes, then Martin Sheen comes well, in I think and you're everyone like, everyone yes. wanted to be involved because it was such a massively incredible project. Yeah, for real. Um, but the sheriff of Selma at the time and the governor as well, were also yeah. opposed to any black voter registration drives. Yeah. So they would go in and break up any registration drives that were happening at the time because uh-huh. the SCLC, uh, the Southern Christian Leadership Council, as well as the one that you mentioned, they both planned lots of drives to try and get black folks voted yeah. after the Civil Rights Act passed because they yeah. were like, this is our chance. Uh-huh. Um, they can no longer discriminate by race, but they found illegal ways of being yeah. able to do it. Um, so, so the state trooper that we're talking about is Corporal James. Oh no, sorry, that's the wrong one. Where is it? Um, do, 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 just to get that. I, the county sheriff is Jim Clark. So, on, we're about to get into the events that really led up to the decision to do this march. So, yes. Martin Luther King Jr. had already come into Alabama, had come into Selma, and said, like, we are going to do, mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to make this the focal point for my voter registration. Mm-hmm. And, but then there were, like, a lot of things that led up to actually deciding to do a 54-mile march from Selma to Montgomery. Yeah. So, on February 18th, 1965, a group of white segregationists and state troopers attacked a peaceful protest, and a young black man named Jimmy Lee Jackson was beaten and eventually shot to death. So, the leader of that march was C.T. Vivian, 
And they led the march to the courthouse in Marion to protest uh, the arrest of James Orange, is what I was reading online, which was mm-hmm. also a lead-up to all of these things. Um, so the state officials were given orders to target Vivian, and a line of Alabama state troopers waited for the marchers at Perry County Courthouse. And they also had all the lights shut off. Uh, they made it very intimidating for them because they knew it was going to be happening. And um, Jimmy Lee Jackson and his mother... Uh, fled the scene. They went into a cafe and they came in and beat both of them and shot Jimmy. And the officer, who is State Trooper Corporal James Bonnard, Fowler, wow, long name, says that, and this is going to ring so true to today, he claims Mm -hmm. that Jimmy was trying to get his gun as they grappled. Which which makes no sense. That's everything you hear from Mm -hmm. any shooting of a black person these days. They're like, oh, but we didn't know if he was Right. It's, it's straight out of the James Bonnard playbook. It is. Right? Like, it is. Um, so in response to Jackson's death, that is really what sparked the 55-mile march from yeah. Selma to the state capitol, and that's what made them start planning this march. Yeah. So a group of 600 people set out from Selma on Sunday, March 7th, 1965. Mm-hmm. So this is the day that was later dubbed Bloody, Bloody Sunday. Sunday. This is what you're going to see a lot of if you watched the trailer but didn't watch the movie for Selma. Yeah. And you see some of that violence going down. This is from probably this what you saw. And it's yeah, not to say was that there of, wasn't violence leading up to it. Clearly there was with the death of this was, um, Jimmy this Lee Jackson. This was heavily, heavily televised as right. well. So there's a lot of um, footage that shows what actually happened. So... They were heading southeast out of Selma on U.S. Highway 80. It was led by John Lewis of SNCC and Reverend Hosea Williams of SCLC. And something I found interesting was that John Lewis was, um, like, a chairman of SNCC, and then there was the other guy that he worked with who was James something. And he, I don't know if this actually happened, but in the movie, the other guy was like, if you march with them, you will not march as part of this Oh, yeah, I think that is what happened, yeah. Yeah, and so I found that to be a really beautiful thing, that he was willing to, like, put his faith in really what he believed in, and mm-hmm. not just because he uh, has to remain loyal to a certain um, right. Agreed. corporation Agreed. or anything like that. Not corporation, you know what I mean. Right, organization. Organization, thank you. Mm-hmm. So, um, it was led by John Lewis and Reverend Hosea Williams. The protest went according to plan until the marchers crossed the Edmund Pettus Bridge where they encountered a wall of state troopers and county and a county posse waiting for them. So it's like a bunch of white folk with Confederate flags. Right. And and, and this sh- should be there's a note on this which is that the morning of the march County Sheriff Jim Clark That's what I was just going to say, yo. Yeah, he <laughs> instructed every able-bodied white man over the age of 25 to go to the courthouse to oh, be I deputized. Oh, I read 21. I read over oh, age 21. Mine said 25. Okay. To, to go to the courthouse to be deputized. Yeah. Uh, and so they had massive man, manpower because it yeah. wasn't just state troopers. It wasn't just police officers. It was a lot of local people who yeah. they had set out. Like, they set out to overpower this crowd. They did. Of 600. And they set out to do it with hateful white people. Like, yeah. it wasn't about the law. No. Don't let anybody try and tell you that the, they were breaking the law or it was anything like that, and that's why they did this. Yeah. They, they didn't do anything. They didn't do They're anything. They're walking across a bridge. Mm-hmm. Like, come on yeah. now. Um, Commander Officer John Cloud told the demonstrators to disband and go home, and when Reverend Williams tried to speak to the officer, Cloud said that there was nothing to discuss, and the troopers began shoving, beating with nightsticks, fired tear gas, and mounted troops charged on horseback. It really is a scene to witness, especially for me, like, the ones that are on horseback and everything. It's just complete chaos. It's chaos, and I have a video that I sent to you earlier that we're going to put on our um, Instagram as kind of like a teaser for this episode, so it should be up by the time this episode comes out so you can go to our Instagram and watch it. But you see, it's very jarring because it is, I think it mirrors the movie very well in that it seems to be fairly quiet. Like, you Mm -hmm. can see them talking to each other. The the crowd comes up to the state troopers. You see them talking to each other, and then chaos. And then, like, screaming. And then, like, people getting trampled. So that's what happens next. Yeah, and I like what they did in the movie where they had somebody in, like, a phone booth, like a reporter, Mm -hmm. who's kind of explaining what's happening as it's happening in a really, like, you know, journalistic poetic kind of way. Right. I like I really, really liked a lot of the choices they made for that movie. Yeah, and that the, was the movie really is liked. beautiful. Like if you guys have not seen it, it's heartbreaking. It'll probably make you cry. Yeah. But it is such an incredible movie. Yeah. Um 
And I can't believe she wasn't nominated for Best Director that year for that movie. That's crazy. Oh, my God. Um, but the scene was completely captured on camera, as we said, and it was mm-hmm. kind of one of the first times that it was brought into the living room of the everyday average middle of the road, yeah. maybe moderate or progressive yeah. white American. Yeah, and it brought, like you said, it brought the Selma voting rights campaign to a new heights. It really did. And especially because Martin Luther King Jr. made a speech talking about um, calling for the clergy to yes. stand in solidarity. And so, you know, they say in the movie there was a man who was just saying, like, you know, I, I couldn't deny it. He called for us. I saw what happened. There's no way I could have stayed home and not been a part of it. Right. It's it's very hard to have that kind of, like, cognitive dissonance where you can trick your mind or do whatever mental gymnastics you need to do to... Um, think that this isn't a problem Mm -hmm. whenever you are seeing it being a problem right in front of your face and whenever somebody who is respected, like Martin Luther King Jr. is asking asking for that. And I also, eventually, maybe not this year for Black History Month, but eventually I think we do need to have an episode talking about Martin Luther King Jr. because I think people have a lot of misconceptions about him being this beloved figure by white people, and he was not. No, he was not. He was disliked by... 80% of white people at the time of his death. Um, But one protester in particular, and this is the woman who I think, if Oprah wasn't directly emulating, um, she... No, the woman that you're thinking of, the one that got knocked unconscious, Mm -hmm. it's not Oprah. It's not Oprah? No, they they look very... Because they're dressed very similarly. It's the girl that played um, the villain in Orange is New Black season three. What's her name? Oh, that's um, very specific, and I don't know. I'm sorry. It's oh God. Hold on. Well, Pause. but the pro- the protesters. Oh, Lorraine Toussaint. She played Amelia Boynton. Yes. So the protester's name was Amelia Boynton. She yeah. was in her fifties at the time, and she was beaten unconscious. And her photo of her laying in the street was on the front page of newspapers across the country. And you can find this photo if you Google her name. You can find lots of photos. I mean, men carrying her, her unconscious in the street. And I think seeing this kind of older woman who was marching peacefully, completely knocked unconscious, and I think seeing all of these other bloodied, battered, beaten bodies. It humanizes it so much, I think, to the people who wanted to not see it and as there's, being And there's literally people. nothing you can say either, because yeah. they weren't being violent. It's all captured on film. They yeah. didn't do anything to deserve this level of violence. Exactly. Um, it really acted as a mirror, I think, in a lot of ways for mm-hmm. white people in the country to take a look at themselves yeah. and say, you know, you need to step on one side of history or the other. Exactly. Like, which and, side are you going to be and on? And a lot of the speeches that are given in the film is Martin Luther King talking about um, both the uh, white Americans and black Americans taking a backseat and not doing something about it and how they are part of the problem because of it. And I think that is so poignant to what's going on today, where if you're choosing to be passive, then you're part of the problem. Right. You know, you do what you can. You know, you don't all have to be these crazy activists. You know, we all have our lives and we all have different ways of of activism, but I think that making that a point that if you're not a part of the change, you're part of the problem right. bare, is really important. Bare minimum, just being vocal about yeah. your beliefs. Exactly. Or, say, um, or like when you hear somebody say something, say you something say in something. response. Yeah, you know, exactly. I think that Don't it, let it just go by. Those tiny little forms of activism are the things that help change the world around, like move yeah. the world around. Like that's what we need. Yeah. It's a chain reaction. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Know? So, um, because of Martin Luther King's call to action for clergy, hundreds of rabbis and priests and social activists fled to Selma to join and the nuns. movement. Nuns, I like yes, there's the nuns. tons of nuns marching. Lots of white people, really. Yeah, um, marching. that one woman at the end of the movie, they say that while she was like driving, some of the black protesters back got killed. Which I had never. I wish they would have like shown that a elaborated bit. on that. Yeah, because more. I, like I want to know more about her. That would be something interesting to explore. I'd be interested to explore that further. Yeah, you I'm know? gonna I'm gonna write her name down and maybe yeah. we can do an, maybe I'll like do her for like a forgotten feminist. Yeah, babe or absolutely. Because I would I would love to lo- know more about her. Because that is something that I like too is that they did show um, what allyship looks like and how to be a good ally. Because I feel they like that there's a lot of people that want to be allies but don't really know how to do it, so they just take a back seat. It was very interesting doing research for this episode because really looking at this movement and this march. 
this this time that really spanned from February through the end of March, beginning of February through the end of March, this movement that happened, it was fascinating because it kind of illustrated so many different aspects mm-hmm. of allyship and, you know, a lot of things that I think we experience today in regards to, like, racism. It yeah. really highlighted a lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, on March 9th, King led more than 2,000 marchers, black and white, across the Edmund Pettus Bridge, but found Highway 80 to be blocked again by uh, by state troopers. And then he paused the marchers and he led them in prayer. And I believe, and I could be wrong about this, this is where they got on their knees all together. They showed it in the beginning of the movie. It may have happened a couple times, possibly. Um, And when he led them in prayer, the troopers stepped aside. But King turned the protesters back around. Like, he, yeah. I think he just didn't trust it. He didn't believe that the troopers were trying to create an opportunity that would allow them to enforce... So there was a federal injunction that was prohibiting... Um, well, what what I read was that Turnaround Tuesday, which I believe is what you're yes, discussing, yes. Um, that to prevent another outbreak of violence, the SCLC attempted to gain a court order that would prohibit the police from interfering. That's sure. what I read. So, <laughs> Sorry, this is a mess because I, I wrote my notes really weirdly. Yeah, so it says, instead of issuing a court order, federal district court judge Frank Menace Johnson issued a restraining order prohibiting the march from taking place until he could hold additional hearings later in the week. Which they don't, they show the hearing in the movie and they show good old Martin Sheen being like, yeah, you'll be protected is from what I got from the movie that... Yeah, I think it was pretty unclear. And I think yeah. that's why Martin Luther King decided to turn around because he was just like, You don't I'm know what people sure are going to do either. If I proceed forward, if we're going to have another Bloody Sunday. And I think he was trying to avoid that, but he received so much criticism for turning for, them for around. doing that. Like, they called him cowardly. They said that it weakened the movement. Yeah. Um, I mean, there, not there have forward. been so many deaths that I understand his trepidation. Absolutely. I, I do, too. I, I, I do, I too. I, I understand it from both perspectives because I also get why you would feel... Totally. Like no, we need to just push yeah, forward. Yeah, what are you doing? Yeah, and I can see where he wouldn't believe that they weren't going to do something anyways because they, like, what what the, what Martin Luther King and his, like, followers were doing, they were risking arrest. They were risking all these things. Maybe the white people are going to risk that same thing for what they well, do. And they in. were you risking I mean? death. And you're yeah. in Alabama and... The white person is not going to get thrown away right, for, it, yeah. If, you're more likely to die in yeah. this scenario. Absolutely. And um, to illustrate that, on that same night, so March 9th, a group of segregationists attacked another protester who mm-hmm. was a young white minister named James Reeb, and they beat him to death. Yeah, and then in the movie, it's like, this is what it feels like to be a black man, basically. Yes. They used harsher language than that. Which I'm not I, use their language. I appreciate... The, I, I the, appreciate the that they even <laughs> demonstrated that in the movie because, okay, so I'm going to walk a line here. Obviously and very clearly, this was a tragedy. And I think that even, of course, like, black folks at the time in the South, in this movement, thought that it was a tragedy. And they yeah. were heartbroken about it. And um, he was there for them. And that meant a lot. Yeah. However... um. There was such a huge national outcry after James Reeb's death. So that much so, yeah, so much so deaths. that the president called James Reeb's widow. Yeah, and it sparked this national outrage. Yeah, which was great for the movement. But, but there they were, did, but they didn't know, do that. Jimmy Lee Jackson did exactly. not have the same response. Exactly, yeah. and so there was this stark difference where it just like it. It seemed like, okay, this is what we mean when we say Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Because the life of this one white man was, it so so outweighed the lives that had already been lost. Mm -hmm. And the fact that someone who was of a comparable age, but the only difference was he was black and local rather than white and a northerner, um, had lost his life as well, and it didn't seem to matter as much. Yeah. So SNCC organizer Stokely Carmichael argued that the movement itself is playing into the hands of racism, because what you want as a nation is to be upset when anybody is killed, but for it to be recognized, a white person must be killed. Well, what are you saying? 
Yeah, exactly. It means yeah. that the, our lives don't matter as much. Mm-hmm. Um, and and to, and to get traction on this movement, white people needed to get hurt. Yeah. And, of course, I'm not trying to diminish in any Anybody's way. death. Absolutely. And no. also, like, James Reeb didn't need to go down there. He was a comfortable white northerner. He didn't need to put himself in that kind of risk. Yeah. He did what as he, an ally. What he did was brave, but also what every single other black person in Alabama did all the time to protest to get what they wanted and deserved to just live their lives. To live their lives the same as any other white person in the world. Their deaths mean just as much. Exactly. Yeah. And and they deserved calls. Their yeah. families deserved calls from 100%. the president, too. You know? Yeah. Um. So Alabama state officials, led by Wallace, tried to prevent the march from going forward. Mm-hmm. But a U.S. district court judge ordered them to permit the march at this yeah. point. Um, kind of as a result of this national outcry from the death of James Reeves. Yeah. They're like, now you have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, James Reeb, not James Reeves. So, six days later, on March 15th, President Lyndon B. Johnson went on the national television to pledge his support to the Selma protesters and to call for the passage of a new voting rights bill mm-hmm. uh, that he has in- introduced into Congress. Uh-huh. And this was a big deal. He had started the ball rolling on introducing this bill to Congress, actually, bef- before James Reeb's death. Yeah. Um, but after James Reeb's death is whenever he, he finally decided. Yeah. And that's the thing about Lyndon B. Johnson where I'm just like, yes, thank you for passing the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act. But he, he for- was very much pressured into it. And right. you see that in the movie, too, with his kind of like... He didn't want to rock the boat. Well, and he was saying, too, like, there's a lot of things that are on my plate. He's like, you have this one cause. I have all of these. You know what I mean? Which Right. Which I can appreciate. Appreciate it. All good. However... But at the same time, it's like he... There are. That's what politicians do. They're not mm-hmm. going to make a move for change in a positive direction until they are directly affected by it in some way. And I feel like that's how a lot of people are too. They don't realize that there's an issue until they are somehow affected by it. Right, and, and then they care. It, it took Lyndon B. Johnson feeling direct pressure yeah. um, from the country to do any sort of movement. So he did finally address the country, and he has a very famous quote where he says, there is no Negro problem. Yeah. There is no Southern problem. There is no Northern problem. There is only an American problem. Their cause must be our cause, too, because it is not just Negroes, but really it is all of us who must overcome the crippling legacy of bigotry and injustice, and we shall overcome. Which, again, I appreciate, but I'm also like, there's something so pandering about using the words from an old Negro spiritual, we shall overcome, in your speech. That's really weird. Where I feel like you're pandering to black audiences yeah. in a way that I'm like, I don't know. Maybe I'm being too picky and no, judgy. No, I completely read it the same way. Yeah, but I, I was read just it the like, same way too. all right, I get that, it. Little, can I tell like a short sidebar yeah, story course. from childhood? So when I was in fifth grade, every year the fifth graders during Black History Month, I feel like I, I might have talked about this I on the podcast I think you did, before. where they did We Have a Dream. We, we Have a Dream, yeah. and then afterwards we sang We Shall Overcome. Mm-hmm. And I went to a very white populated school in <laughs> elementary school. And I had a friend, Zanetta, who was one of the only black children in my class, along with a few others. And I just remember looking over at her mom, who was bawling. Like, not like her body wasn't moving. There was nothing. She wasn't sobbing. But you could just see tears streaming down her face. I'm just pride, like, in her daughter being a part of that. Yeah, I mean, and I... And I've also heard stories of... This is why I don't want to trivialize what Lyndon B. Johnson did, because... No, but I do... I read it the same way right. when I heard I, it. Yeah. I think with, with distance and us being from a different generation, we can read it that way. Mm-hmm. But I also have read stories of black people at the time, including Martin Luther King Jr., who, when they watched this... This. They felt seen. They felt seen, and yeah. they did cry. Like, they, there's, there's um, documentation of people who were there with Martin Luther King Jr. who saw him cry yeah. when he watched this. Because it was like, finally. Like, you are addressing this, and yeah, you're not and addressing it... it's almost kind it. of like a wink and a nod to that right. at and, the same time. And you're not addressing it in some kind of, like, underhanded terms or covering it up with a bunch of different language. You're saying explicitly, this is a problem. Yeah. Racism is a problem. We have a crippling, disgusting history that needs to be looked at. Like, yeah. this specifically needs to be looked and at. And I think it can be both at the same time. I think that both ways that you can read it are accurate. Yeah, agreed. At the same time. Agreed. And, yeah, and I, I totally see that. And I, I do appreciate Linda B. Johnson doing it. I wish 
he had set out to do that on his own, and it wasn't something he had to be pressured into. But I also appreciate that he did it. Sometimes regardless. you gotta take what you can get. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I mean, like that just kind of reminds me how Obama. You know, he wasn't he wasn't planning on having gay marriage become legal during mm-hmm. his presidency. Right. And he's, he did it anyways. He did it, and we will always be forever thankful for him Absolutely. legalizing and that will be, it, you, know? you know, attributed to him forever. Exactly. So some 2,000 people set out from Selma on March 21st, protected mm-hmm. by U.S. Army troops and Alabama National Guard forces that Lyndon B. Johnson had ordered under federal, federal control. Wait, so, how many did you say? Uh, 2,000. Why is Wikipedia saying 8,000? I don't know. They said 8,000 people assembled at Brown Chapel AME Church to commence the trek to Montgomery. I don't know. Maybe they all didn't march. I got Maybe. this from history.com. I mean, your your source is much better. <laughs> I'm just following... My notes are all over the place, so I'm just following along on Wikipedia. I, I'm not saying... Listen. I'm getting my timeline from them. Okay. If you have the correct number, email us. Okay. Yeah, for real. Who knows? Who I got knows? a lot. I honestly... I looked at several 8, different... 8,000 is a lot. 8,000 seems like a lot. That's a lot. I... I looked at several different sources, and a lot of the information was conflicting. So um, I'm not exactly sure. I went with what I could find the most resources for. Let's go with 2,000. That sounds sounds more correct than 8,000. So there you go. But so they were protected by U.S. Army troops in the Alabama National Guard. And I believe Lyndon B. Johnson had talked to the governor of Alabama asking him for protection, like, on the state level. Well, that is a scene in the movie, too. And, and he denied he denied it. He was yeah. like, I'm not going to do it. So Lyndon B. Johnson had to step in with National uh, Guard forces. Yes. And U.S. Army troops. So he brought in national forces rather Fuck than yeah. it being, being state, state yeah. forces. And they walked about 12 hours a day. They would sleep in fields along the way. The first night, they slept in a uh, farmer's field. It was a a black man who had a farm. And it's so crazy seeing... I want to read that man's story. Yeah, yeah. And it's so interesting seeing the footage of this because... I, I always find it interesting when I'm watching, like, when you watch the movie, Selma, you see it, where it's, like, women of this time are marching in, like, dresses and petticoats and, like, heels. And I'm yeah. like, I've been to marches. My feet hurt after marching in my docks yeah, all day. So I'm real. like, I can't imagine this. And so seeing them in this field where they're getting ready to stay for the night, and these women are, like, in their dresses, like, yeah. standing in the middle in of their fields. their best. I'm like, this seems, this seems impractical. Yeah. Wear some pants. Yeah. Um, but uh, they finally reached Montgomery on March 25th of that year. Mm-hmm. So nearly 5,000 supporters, black and white, met the marchers in Montgomery where they gathered in front of the state capitol to hear King and several others speak, including uh, Ralph Bunch. Bunch? Yeah. I don't know. But he was uh, the winner of the no- 1950 Nobel Peace Prize. Yeah. Uh, and they addressed the crowd. Yeah. King said in his speech, no tide of racism can stop us, which I can only imagine. Can you imagine walking for three days? Yeah. 54 miles, facing this kind of discrimination, and then getting there and hearing those words from Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah. This was, was this from his how long, not long speech? I, if it was from the steps of the Capitol after yeah. that. Yeah. Because he also says, the end we seek is, is a society at peace with itself, a society that can live with its conscience. I know you are asking today, how long will it take? I come to say to you this afternoon, however difficult the moment, however frustrating the hour, it will not be long. Yeah. So while this His march- cadence with oh, his speech. I know. My God. I'm what, like, that's what talk, I was thinking. Talk me to sleep. And David Oyelowo says it's like, it does such a beautiful portrayal of like his cadence with his speeches. All the speeches he does in the chapels. Yeah. I'm like, oh. You know what I love about David Oyelowo too and his, um, the way that he did Martin Luther King Jr. is that I don't feel like he was trying to do a direct impression. He wasn't like, impersonating It, wasn't, it him. wasn't an imitation. No. It was like his own thing as an actor. Like he it made his own choices. Look, it didn't look too put on. Right. Yeah. He made his own choices. It wasn't a direct impression of him, but he captured the essence so beautifully yeah. that I, I loved it. So um, even... I'm going to like backtrack just a tiny bit, but on March 17th, 1965, so while they were... Um, gearing up to march, getting ready for the march. 
uh, Lyndon B. Johnson had already ad- addressed a joint session in Congress calling for a federal voting rights act. Yeah. He was calling for voting rights legislation even before they had reached their destination. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to protect African Americans from the barriers that prevented them from voting. So this is a big deal. I mean... You think about the year before this, they had put into action already the Civil Rights Act. So I imagine before Selma, before seeing all of the physical damage that was being done um, to black Americans in the South, I imagine it was probably pretty easy for white people to be like, we already gave you the Civil Rights Act. Like, we already addressed this problem. And that's another thing they say in the movie as Mm -hmm. well. It's like the, it's that whole, what more do you want kind of. Situation. Yeah, because it says in the in the Civil Rights Act that you're allowed to vote. I don't get it. Like, yeah. why, why why are, are you, you so upset? why do you need a separate Voting Rights Act to yeah. put more limitations on yeah. what states are allowed to do? And I just looked at my notes from watching the movie, and something that was really upsetting to me is the language that was used um, by the white um, characters in the movie. Like, you know, we're giving a lot of praise to Lyndon B. Johnson. We are also criticizing him. But there was one line where he's talking to the governor and he says, why not just let the N-words vote? And it's so, like, like he's... He's fighting for them to get their vote, but then he's using this term that's well, so Well, I think that that's also, that's probably also dramatized, and I think yeah. that that's actually a genius move on the director of Selma, because yeah. I think it really, really effectively illustrates that this passivity, like, it effectively yeah. illustrates, like, you don't have to be marching in the South, burning crosses with a hood on to, to be, still be racist. racist. Yeah. You can have this insidious... You can, st- you can be passing this law and still and be racist. And still be, like, still have yeah. this... You can be a president and realize that, you know, you have to do this because you're the president of the United States, but also feel like black people are inferior And to when you. you're in a room with your, like, fellow white man... And you're using and you're a comfortable. word like that. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's, and it, it makes a really big statement. And this is the reason why. And I'm going to, like, hammer it home because I'm feeling particularly raw because our Instagram feed is a goddamn mess. I couldn't read it anymore. I'm surprised um, that you kept looking at it because I showed my boyfriend this morning and he was like, get that away from me. I can't even yeah, look at it. Yeah, just so you guys know, we've never turned off comments before. No. I have never done gonna, it. Wait, I thought we did for one post. I, I don't think we did. did. Didn't we turn them off for the Emma Gonzalez post? No, we didn't. Okay. We never turned off comments for that one, even though we were getting bad, like, comments. We've never turned off comments before. Uh, we did, because the amount of white fragility in our comments, man, it, yeah. was, it was really sickening. upsetting. It was it sickening. Was sickening. Um, but this is why I really want to drive home for you. If you are in a room, we said the same thing. We made a post that was also weirdly controversial on our Instagram page um, about... If you are a man who stays quiet in a room of other men when they are joking, making rape jokes or misogynistic jokes, you're part of the problem. Yeah. If you are a white person in a room full of other white people where they're making comments like that or talking like that, it is your job to step in. We're not asking that you join in a march, right? Like, we're not asking that you put your life on the line, but you're one small step for... Um, fighting racism or yeah. fighting misogyny or fighting sexism can just be speaking up if you're the only one yeah. in the room. And it's interesting that for me, when I've spoken up particular, particularly about the use of the N-word, um, because I have called friends out on it a lot. Yeah. And I've the one thing that people always want to ask me is, what about when you're listening to music and they say it? I say, I do not say it. It's really easy not to say it. Well, and this was something for me that was really hard. So when I was in the play Hair, I had a line where mm-hmm. I had to say that word. Right. And there is a song called 3500 where that word is part of it. Mm-hmm. I refuse to say it. I would not say it in rehearsals. I would not say it when we were running lines. I felt very uncomfortable. I felt this is not my word. This is not something that I can say. When I'm actually doing the show because it is impactful, I will say it because I'm an actor and that's part of the script. Uh, I'll try to get past that. Um, but the our mentor who was in like the original cast was so – like he like made fun of me for it, for well, not saying it. And it was really frustrating because I'm like – that's a personal choice for me. And then I have people who were like, oh, but we're bashing religion and I'm Catholic and like, I don't mind. And I'm like, yeah, but this for me, this is my line. Like, I, I will not say this unless I am performing it. Um, 
I start saying the word in my line, and then I'm stopped by HUD, who's the black character in mm-hmm. the show. So I was like, I will do not. I told him, I'm like, do not trick me into saying the whole thing. You better stop me once I start it. Right, we're gonna have a problem. Yeah, if, if that's what happens. Like, don't here. think it's funny or cute for me to say the whole thing. I stop have had it. conversations with you. I've had had conversations on this podcast about the use of that word um, by white people and how I have had so many yeah. arguments with people. Uh, either in person or online, who feel like they can say it and they don't understand why they're not allowed to, you're just not. Yeah. And I don't understand why. Do why do you have to say it? There's a million words in the world. Right. Like, you don't and have you to just, say it. This one, that's the thing that, that is so interesting to me and something that really struck me when I was reading the comments on our Instagram post where it's just like, there's just, there's only, you're white. Mm-hmm. Like, there's only a handful of things you're not allowed to do mm-hmm. that you can really legitimately get in trouble for. And there's one thing that they're like, oh my god, why can't I say and, it? And when why I say, are you taking this away from me? And when I say get in trouble for, I mean, you get a slap on the wrist by a person on the internet. And you make somebody else feel really bad. And you make someone else feel really bad. And like, and whenever there are real life, actual physical life and death consequences for people of color... For all manner of things, you're going to get up in arms because I said your ancestor owned slaves. Like, you're yeah. going to get up in arms whenever I say you're not allowed to use the N-word, even if you're singing a Cardi B yeah. song. Like, really? You know what I say instead? Neighbor. Yeah. Neighbor. It's funny. Even though it's not the same number of syllables, Anthony always says Filipino. I know. We've every we time. talked about this so before. Funny. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we've got enough track. But yeah, I, I sorry. Think it, no, I no, just but, thought it was a really poignant thing in the movie for me. And I think it all relates. I think it all goes back. And, you know, I am really raw from having dealt with this all day. But, like, I want to point out that, like, the arguments that I was having with people today, which I'm like, why did I didn't I even see your responses. I, I, I didn't looking. respond a lot. Okay. I responded a couple times. But, like, or a lot of the arguments I was seeing were people being like, this is something that happened so long ago with, yeah. in regards to slavery. And, like, don't punish white people now for the things that our ancestors did. But and it's like, but white you people need today to, are still first of all causing that, a lot of damage. First of all that. And secondly, take a real hard look. We are talking about events that happened in 1965. Exactly. My mom was born in 1967. My mom was born in 1951. Right? My grandparents were fully realized adults at this point. Do not act as if slavery was the beginning and end of of the systematic disenfranchisement of black Americans. Agreed. Because it was not. Slavery and Jim Crow, slavery happened for a period of time. Jim Crow and segregation happened for a period of time. And then there's been mass in uh, like in incarceration. There's been other things Murder. that have happened that continue to happen up until this day. And they all go hand in hand. One would not exist without the other. So it's really frustrating for me to see people be like, well, that doesn't happen anymore, so yeah. racism doesn't exist. I'm really sorry that you had to, like... No, it's okay. It's... No, I know, but, like, it's one of those things that we, we have different reactions to both of those things. Clearly, it makes me very upset, but that's not my experience. So the way that both of us are going to react is going to be different because I realize that I can't truly empathize with what you go through mm-hmm. when you read those comments or when people say those things. I can stand up. For that, I can do my very best to be an ally, but for me, I just feel nothing but, like, sorry and apologetic whenever I see it because it's, it's so hard for me to... To see it when I when I can't fully I can't fully console you right. or anybody else because I don't have that experience and yeah. that's okay, but it's hard because I don't know what to say all the time. Yeah, you yeah, know what I, mean? but I, I understand. But it's hard. But it's it's what it's hard for me to see other people getting hurt and especially knowing that you were so affected by the comments. I didn't even like seeing them. I can only imagine what it felt like for you. Yeah, I think. For me, I'm more disappointed in myself that, like, I allowed myself to get sucked in and respond at all. I think there's part of me, like... Oh, that happens to me all the time yeah, on that page. I yeah. get sucked in a lot where I have to just be like, you know what? I'm not going to look at the comments And anymore. that's what I had to do. I actually said to a person, I was like, I'm going to practice self-care and not not look at your comments and not respond to you yeah. because... Oh, I've gotten in so many... A, a lot... Mostly, like, um, comments about... Um, like lately, like the gender roles uh-huh. posts we've made and um, oh, things yeah. like that where I've yeah, gotten yeah. real heated about it. And I'm like, you know what? For it's my sake, it. I have to step back. You know, right. I've said or I'll say like one or two comments and then step aside. I think it hurts me because I'm just like it. I cannot believe 
And I can tell because you keep coming back that, like, you really believe this. And, yeah. like, I, I I look back to whenever I was ignorant and making really ignorant whenever I was, like, very conservative. and making Oh, but very... if someone says something to you, you were like, oh, my God, I didn't mean it. I'm so sorry. No, back in the day when I when I truly believed, like, some ignorant-ass shit, I got into, like, arguments with people about oh, yeah. ignorant shit. And so I do think back about those, and I was just like, I was so offended, and, like, I fought so much. But now when I look back on them, I'm like, I am glad that somebody put me in my place, though. Agreed. You know, so... Oh, I've been put in my place a number of times, especially by black friends and black acquaintances. And it hurts at the time, but then you're like, oh, I'm so glad you put me but in my place. But for me, it, mostly it's been as an adult, and I never really feel hurt by it. I feel embarrassed. Yeah. Because I, I've never, ever said anything. I feel embarrassed now. That means yeah. to hurt somebody. So when I am called out on something and I see that somebody that I care about is hurt, I'm I'm embarrassed. Yeah. I'm so sorry. You yeah. know what I mean? Absolutely. So um, I actually, I know you have more to say, but I found out more about the... The woman who was killed by the Ku Klux Klan. So if you want to talk about that. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Do you want me to say it now? Um, let's just wrap up Selma Yeah, let's wrap fast. it up and then I'll talk about that. So that August in 1965, so after the Selma march had completed, sorry guys, we went off on like a 10-minute tangent. Um, it's important. We're good. <laughs> but after the Selma march had completed in, in August of 1965, Congress passed the Voting Rights Act, which guaranteed the right to vote. Um, to all African Americans, and really the right to vote, as we talked about for African Americans, as we talked about in our last uh, full-length episode, was granted in the Fifteenth Amendment for men, and then for women with the passing of the Nineteenth Amendment. Yeah. Um, but this really did push that forward because it banned literacy tests as a requirement for voting and yep. mandated federal oversight on voter registration yeah. in areas where tests were previously used. Yeah. And um, his uh, speech was tele- was televised televised nationally. Uh, it was considered to be a watershed moment for the civil rights movement. He said, even if we pass this bill, the battle will not be over. What happened in Selma is part of a larger movement which reaches into every section and state of America. It is the effort of American Negroes to secure for themselves the full blessings of American life. Their cause must be our cause too, because it is not just Negroes, but really it is all of us who must overcome the crippling legacy of bigotry and injustice and we shall overcome. So again, that was part of his his speech from the televised after the Voting Rights Act. Again, I really don't like I don't like saying Negroes either. It's okay. We understand what you mean. Um, So I do want to push home just as a a final word on Selma. I want to push uh, home that prior to this, prior to the Voter Rights Act passing, only an estimated 23% of voting age blacks were registered nationally. But in 1969, that number jumped to 61%. Yeah, it said by March 1966, nearly 11,000, and I don't like how Wikipedia words this, they just say blacks, which I don't like. <laughs> um, 11,000 black people had registered to vote in Selma, where 12,000 white people were registered. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, so I mean, I think that really illustrates how much people wanted the ability to vote and just weren't able to have that. Yeah. Um, So it wasn't laziness. It wasn't that they didn't want to vote. It wasn't, you know, a lack of effort on their part. It was lack of access and ability because that number jumped so dramatically in just a few years. Yeah. So the the woman who um, was murdered for her allyship was Viola Liuzzo. Uh, she was a white mother from Detroit. She came come to Alabama to support voting rights for black people. She was assassinated by the Ku Klux Klan members when, while she was ferrying marchers back to Selma from Montgomery. Um, and something that was interesting to me, though, about the movie stating her at the end of it, it seemed out of place. I felt the same way when I watched it. Okay. I, I did, too. Because I wanted to say who she was because I feel like she did something really great, but she was not a part of the story. I feel like she deserves way. a separate story. Yeah. You know? Yeah, but they say afterwards the FBI's Cointelpro operation spread false rumors that Liuzzo was a member of the Communist Party and had abandoned her children to have sexual relationships with African-American activists. Oh, my God. Clash your pearls. How dare How she? How dare she? Yeah, African-Americans. Was, African-Americans, don't say it. Oh my, my God. My goodness. Um, yeah, it was weird. Like, I'm glad that like they said it because I wanted to know more about that person, but I was kind of like... This person had not one line in the entire movie. Mm-hmm. You show her once at the end, and you say this little blurb about her when there was 
so many people in that movie that I want to know more about what happened to them afterwards. Yes. Why so is why this one person? About? It is interesting. Like, it's an interesting good, choice. Good like, story, but why? Yeah, why? I, I feel like that movie was so well directed in so many ways, but that was a strange choice. That was really and weird. I want to know more about her. I would love for one I of us I, to do her for our Forgotten I Feminist Babe. I think I would babe. really like to talk yeah, about her Yeah, I think that that'd be fantastic. But yeah, it did seem really out of place, especially because of like one thing that we talk about a lot when we are talking about allyship is that it's important for the other group to have their voice and to mm-hmm. speak and to let them finish. Where there was something jarring about like kind of throwing a white person in there and being at like at the end this happened to her too the conclusion yeah. be about like her story I feel yeah. the same way it was weird I, I feel like if she had been more of a part of the story that it would have made more sense right. but she had nothing to do with Agreed. that particular story Agreed. that they totally. were telling because there's a lot of other activists that were part of that story in some way shape or form that we talk about that didn't get little excerpts at the end. They didn't show Rosa Parks and say she boycotted yeah, you know, the yeah. buses in Montgomery. That's interesting. There wasn't any other activists that were blurbed randomly at the end of the movie, so I just found that really jarring. But, you know, great example of allyship, but why? Yeah, agreed, agreed. Interesting. You know, let let the people who are supposed to talk have the final word. Have their moment. You know, yeah. let them have it. So I don't mean let them have it. Like, oh, just let them have it. Let Sorry, that probably sounded really just wrong. Just toss them a bone. I didn't mean it that no, way. No, I know you okay, didn't. Good. I know you didn't. As soon as I said it, I was like, ooh, that sounds bad. <laughs> okay. So, um, guys, go watch. I think Selma Lord Selma is on YouTube. Like, you should watch it. It's a good movie. Yeah. Um, watch Selma. Selma is a better movie. The, the, the portrayals, the acting in that movie, I mean, Amazing. I loved... Uh, Coretta King's character. I loved uh, the the scenes of them when they're getting the really hateful phone calls and she's worried about her children. You know, the, the thing that's really powerful about any of these biopic movies is that it's really humanizing these historical figures that we've learned so much about, but showing some of their downfalls, some of the ugliness in their lives that I think is so important to see. They weren't perfect people. You know, Martin, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. was not a perfect man. He was no. not a perfect husband. No, he wasn't. And there and they showed a lot. Of, I mean, they right off the bat, they were like, let's go after the wife because there's issues in the marriage. That's nothing I'd ever heard of right, before. Right, right. I mean, you know, I mean literally, I today, yeah, <laughs> I mean, Martin Luther King Jr. had affairs. It's yeah. true. Like, and it's not something that we ever want to hear about our heroes, but he was a human being, a human man, and he wasn't perfect in every yeah, single way. And like you said, too, a lot of people believe that the white community really liked him. Where Not the truth. It's not the truth. And it's showing the backlash and the danger and the, the fear FBI they had. The FBI tried to assassinate him. Exactly. Like, the fear that they had for his children and his family and, like, anyone who was associated with him. They were bugged. You know what I mean? Like, right. there's a lot of fear. And so I feel like showing the real raw reality of his life, I think, is really important. And showing the reality of... His wife's life and yeah. the people who were around him, I think, is really important because those are parts of history that is brushed over when we talk about Black History Month. Black History Month is very much like an idyllic, perfect world scenario kind of teaching moment. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Malcolm X is painted in a very different light. Martin mm-hmm. Luther King Jr. is painted in a very different light. Rosa Parks. We forget a lot of people when we talk about the history of these things. When we talked about Rosa Parks, we forgot about all the other people who had made these monumental movements within this movement. Well, I mean, and we talk about we talk about Selma, right? And we talk I think when people think of Selma, they think of Martin Luther King. Yeah. They don't think of Jimmy Lee Jackson. Do you know what I mean? And like John Lewis they, and and all of these other figures yeah. who literally put their lives at risk. They don't think of what it must have been like as empowering as it must have been like to participate in this march. How fucking How scary. scary. Right? Like, you you could, you stood a very real chance of either being arrested or... Dying. Dying. I mean, and I can't remember, at the at, by the end of February, it was some kind of crazy number. I'll try and correct this if I can remember, but off the top of my head, I want to say it was something like 300 people by the end of February from this march were imprisoned. Like, yeah. Because they were just... Yeah, I believe that sounds right. From it's what some, I've it's something like that, and... So I think we really need to look at the reality of the situation. It wasn't something that was glamorous. And we can look back now and be like, yeah, John Lewis, like, participated in this march. And that's amazing. And, like, yes, it is. But think of the reality of what being a 20-something man, black man in the South, and walking, leading this number of people. Potentially to their death. Potentially to their death. Potentially to your own death. Yeah. 
would have felt like and been like. It's it a large would have been weight. really scary. It's a large weight to carry. Um, so, yeah. I mean, guys, watch Selma Lord Selma. Tell me if it's a bad movie because my eight-year-old recollection is that it's wonderful. I should rewatch it as an adult because I'll probably be like, yikes, I need to <laughs> take back that endorsement. I want to watch it. Um, but... But yeah, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I know we we did cover a lot. We also went off the rails a little bit. But I think it's important to talk about how these things are uh, are still happening today and how they are affecting our lives today. Yeah, I think it would be doing a disservice if we just talked about what happened back then and how it doesn't. And everything's to what's happening fine now. now. Yeah, yeah, everything's good. Racism is a thing of the past. Yeah, you know? totally. So, all fixed, all done. <laughs> all done. Closing my iPad, we're done. <laughs> so, we solved racism. Just kidding. Good job. We <laughs> God, did it. Not at all. <laughs> um, we're like Starbucks. So, <laughs> and Pepsi. If Can you, I be Kendall Jenner? If you have anything that you think that we should cover in Black History Month, we have two more episodes to go. I think we're going to do a Forgotten Feminist Fave next week. Yeah, if you have ideas for us, um, shoot them our way. But yeah, we're always down to take more ideas. We're also going to be going into Women's History Month for March, so if there's anything or anyone you want us to cover for Women's History Month, please shoot us an email Definitely. at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com. You can join us for the madness on Instagram. <laughs> uh, it's a crazy join place. Join the party, guys. Join the party. If it sounds like fun if you want to get in and do the emotional labor so i don't have to oh my god please i'm always like please if someone say it because i don't our listeners step in it makes me feel so much better yeah um but you can get in on that at at angry neighborhood feminist on instagram you can also dm us with any ideas you have please also keep submitting your pets for feminist pet friday we had such a good time doing i'm gonna be putting up my new puppy, Penny Lane. Yeah, so that should be up already because this episode's going to come out on Monday. Yeah, check her um, out. She's so cute. So definitely send us your pets for Feminist Pet Friday. We love getting your pets. It's, it's so, so much fun. It's so cute. That's like every pet Instagram is like so famous because everybody loves to look at cute no, because animals. because it doesn't matter. Every animal is a cute animal. Exactly. Like, even if they're an ugly animal, they're a cute animal. I know. I know. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter if you want to. That is Yamp Podcast, Y-A- and F, excuse me, podcast, Madigan. <laughs> sorry, I was reading Instagram comments. Where is my echo? I'm sorry. Wait, let's do it again. Okay. You can follow us on Twitter. Say it. At Yamp Podcast. Y-A-N-F Podcast. Thank you very much. Um, I'm the worst. <laughs> okay. We also have a Facebook business page and Facebook group. So you can leave us reviews on our business page or you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. You should totally do it. Please. It's so much fun. You're going to get such a rush. do it. Ooh. Oh my gosh. And when we feature you on Reviews Day Tuesday, oh my god, You're going to be like a movie star. I'm going to freak out. All of your friends are going to call you on the phone and be like, oh my god, did you see so fancy. So fancy. The fanciest. Um, God, I need sleep. <laughs> yeah. Is that everything? I think so. Okay. You guys, with all that being said, we encourage you to, to rage on. on. Bye. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues, and it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.